Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead, and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And what you're about to listen to was a sermon that was preached at our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30 with our students. So I hope that this sermon is encouraging and a blessing to you today. Thanks for listening. The message of the book of Daniel is that our God reigns supreme. There's no one higher. He is the sovereign. He reigns supreme over all things. That's the the message, but why? What's the purpose of this message? Well, it was written to suffering, God's suffering people with the goal to encourage them who are persecuted and tempted to hold on, to endure to the end. So the title of this sermon is Enduring to the End. That's a goal we all have, right? We may need that door to be closed just in case junior hires get a little rowdy in the gym. Growing up every year, I would look forward to the summers of uh, tubing, inner tubing behind a boat um, at a lake that my family goes to. And it would be the one time I see Luke Dirks. If you know Luke, he runs the 20s ministry here. He's my cousin. And so our family owns this 1990s boat. It, it can only hold about six people, seven people, but it's, it's got enough torque to pull two tubes behind it, okay? And uh, I would look forward to every year my dad trying his best to knock us off the inner tubes by means of tiring us out, by whipping us in circles. Anyone that's ever done this, you can't do it on the Rock River, but if you're on the lake, uh, you go in circles. He calls it the death roll because if you watch uh, the crocodile hunter, the crocodiles, when they get their prey, they start to roll until it rips the flesh off. Anyways, that's my dad's way of, of, of saying the death roll. And so he would try to tire us out by whipping us, by, it's a boat, not with an actual, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, on the inner tubes, whipping us right into the wakes of bigger boats, right? And so these boats create bigger wakes or waves, and then we'd launch off them, right? And I remember one wake was so big that my dad launched the whole boat out of the water. Like, like I'm behind there, and I, and I see the boat get out of water, I'm like... Okay, you know, you know, then you just, you just, man, it was, it was insane. Um, it was a blast, but the most painful part, and I could, I was way better when I was younger. I had way more stamina and I was way lighter than I am now, believe it or not. And I could hold on, uh, for much longer, but the most painful part of the whole experience is when you are just exhausted and you're holding on for dear life and every wave hits you. And the pull of the boat keeps pulling you and pulling you. And the force of that is you start losing your grip and you don't want to fall and your hands start to slip, right? You know what you need in that moment? Know what I need in that moment? God to say, this is as an illustration of holding on and enduring. God to say, I'm in control. I'm with you. I will hold you. You will be resurrected. So endure to the end. Now I'm, I'm applying this to the Christian life now, right? When you feel the pull of every single temptation and you're exhausted of fighting your sin, of walking through trial, and you feel like your grip is slipping, what you need to hear is 
the encouragement, the promises of God to endure to the end. Not only that, not only the command to endure, but that you will by God's grace. Why? Because he's promised it. He's guaranteed it for those who are in Jesus Christ. Every one of us are living in a fallen world. We're living in Babylon. This is Babylon. It doesn't matter what school you go to. It doesn't matter if you're homeschooled, public school, private school, charter schooled, uh, remote schooled, whatever schooled. All right? It doesn't matter. We all live in Babylon. We all live in a fallen world. We will experience a fallen world, whether right now, maybe not as much, but when you go off to work, you will. And when you have your own families and when you're working in the, the real world, you're going to face the pressures, the temptations of Babylon, of the city of man, of the kingdom of man, which is what we've been learning in Daniel. And the message of Daniel is for you to hold on, to be encouraged, to keep enduring through hardship, through trials, and through life. Now, this this study of Daniel, when taken as a whole, is really eye-opening. And so if this is your first week here, I'm glad, because I'm going to not just look at a certain episode— but we're going to look at the whole series, okay? Because it doesn't make sense to just drop down into the Mandalorian and watch episodes five and six, but not watch any of the other ones, right? And most of the people know Daniel for that. They know it for the fiery furnace scene and the lion's den, but they don't know Daniel for anything else. But you won't understand those unless you understand the whole, right? No one reads Harry Potter three and four, not the rest of the book. So we're going to read, not read, we're going to go through the whole book. And I want to take a 30,000 foot view to, to tease out these themes that God is sovereign. He is in control and this theme of endurance. And I hope that as we take this trip back through, you will be encouraged. And so let's do that together. Now start, so open up to Daniel chapter one, okay? And the book of Daniel. So some of you, this is review, but I hope that this sparks up some of the old sermons and gets you thinking upon some of the truths here. The book of Daniel is split into two major sections, okay? So uh, chapters 1 through 6 are the first narrative sections. It's the cool stories that everyone loves. Now chapters 7 through 12 are more of the apocalyptic, cryptic kind of language sections that many of you probably listening to my sermons are like, what is he talking about, okay? I tried my best. Split into two sections, and the book begins in the year of 605 BC when God's people sinned so greatly. They broke God's covenant. They went after other idols. They they rebelled against God, that God, fulfilling his promise, punishes them and exiles them out of their land, Jerusalem. And the way that he does this is by the hand of King Nebuchadnezzar. So look at verses 1 and 2 of Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now verse 2, who's behind it all? Who is sovereign? And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. God is sovereign, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of the God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. And so we learn right then and there that God is sovereign even through this persecution, even through sending his people into exile because of their sin. Now, God's people are now demoralized. They're crushed, right? They, 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 they realize their sin, 
And they're asking the question, especially the faithful ones. They're asking the question, God, where are you? Where are you? And Daniel one is Daniel chapter one is a reminder that God is over the whole exile. He's in the whole exile. He's working for their good, and he he's right there with them. So look at verse six. It's a reminder to God's people that He's still with His people, especially these young teenagers. Verse six: Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Okay, and they're of the tribe of Judah. And as we see in verse 2, it says that the Lord gave, so he's behind it all. Then we also see in verse 9, it says, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief eunuchs. Okay, and look at verse 17. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature. And so what was happening was these teens, they were forced to be indoctrinated, brainwashed by the pagan culture of Babylon, but yet God was with them. He helped them. So when some of you, you feel like the enemy is all around you, temptation is all around you, you can't endure any longer, you read Daniel chapter 1, you see God is there. That's a great reminder. And look at verse 21. And Daniel was there under the first year of the king Cyrus. In the book of Isaiah, God had promised that the exile would last 70 years. Well, in this verse, in 21, King Cyrus would be the king 70 years later that would send God's people back to their land. And so what we see here in this very first chapter is God is sovereign and God will be faithful to restore his people. But it will be through suffering. Daniel chapter 2, so if you have to turn the page or whatever, Daniel 2 through 4, then gives us three episodes centered around this guy, King Nebuchadnezzar, okay? And these chapters are meant to remind us that God is sovereignly in control and to remind his suffering people to take heart in the God who has not left them. And so if you remember Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar wakes up with sweats, okay? Not, I don't know if that's really true, but he has a bad dream, okay? I guess I had a bad dream. I, I had a bad dream the other night. Caitlin writes down all my dreams. You guys kind of all, all know this when I sleep talk. And so I guess I was sleep talking the other night saying, wow, wow, wow. And Caitlin's like, what? what what's going on? I was like, wow, they have put up nine pulpits in their church. That's what I said. I'm like, what is this even about? I don't even know, okay? It's weird. I, I, I don't know what I'm dreaming about. But I, so... That wasn't really a bad dream, I guess. The nine pulpits, that's kind of cool. But King Nebuchadnezzar, he has this terrible dream and he doesn't remember the dream and he needs an interpretation of the dream and he's going to kill all of his, uh, all of his religious, uh, basically, counselors that would usually, in the pagan culture, give them the interpretation, but they couldn't. There's no one there to, give them what the, to tell them what the dream's about except for Daniel, to whom God gives the interpretation, if you remember. And what God reveals in the dream is four different kingdoms, right? Remember uh, uh, the statue, a head of gold and chest of silver and a torso of bronze, legs of iron, right? And then there's this stone that comes out of nowhere, right? And it's obscure, it's small, it's insignificant, and it crushes this statue. And the stone becomes a mountain that fills the earth. And this is a picture of God's kingdom, his future kingdom. He's telling, God, he's telling his people that my kingdom, God's kingdom, 
will reign forever. I am in charge and over every king and every kingdom. And in response to this, look at what, look at what uh, Daniel says in verses 20 through 23 here. When, he, when God tells him the dream, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings. He sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what's in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise for you have given me wisdom and might and have made known to me what we asked of you for you have made known to us the king's matter. There we see Daniel praising God for his sovereignty. He's still there with his suffering people. He's still in control. Daniel worships, and then at the end of this, when Daniel gives the king the interpretation, even the pagan king, the non-believer king, look at verse 47, King Nebuchadnezzar, he answers and says to Daniel, truly, your God is a God of gods and the Lord of kings. Maybe King Nebuchadnezzar's heart, God is starting to convict it, right? He's recognizing who truly is the king until we get to chapter 3, right? King Nebuchadnezzar forgets. He's so prideful. He's so lost in himself, right? He's, he, do, he doesn't truly believe that God is the sovereign power. He, he's narcissistic. And so what he does is he creates a 90-foot tall statue of himself, plated in gold. And he forces every tribe, tongue, and nation, every person that's alive to bow down and to worship. And if they don't, they will be thrown into a fiery furnace. You guys remember the story now. Except for three Jews. Three Jews who took a stand and would not bow the knee to the pagan king. They would not worship another god. They will only worship the god of scripture. Even if that means death. I love what they say in verse 16. You remember this? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in the matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Isn't that a wonderful response to the temptation of this world? No, I will not bow down. My God will deliver me. But even if he does not, even if this kills me, even if this persecution leads to my death, he is good. I will serve him. Daniel chapter 3 is an amazing chapter. And yet, again, it ends with King Nebuchadnezzar. Maybe his heart's changed, right? He ends up worshiping at the end. Look at verse 28. Of chapter 3, Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own. At this point, things are looking up for King Nebuchadnezzar, right? And God's people at the same time are being encouraged that God is in control. Keep enduring. Keep going. Too bad King Nebuchadnezzar 
being as fickle as he is, <laughs> we see in chapter 4, the rise and the great fall. The great fall of King Nebuchadnezzar. Chapter 4, if we look at this, it begins <clears throat> with Nebuchadnezzar praising God. He says, "How look at chapter 4, how great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. Well, King Nebuchadnezzar has a second dream, and he is this tree, pretty much, that's filling up the whole earth. But Daniel comes and tells him, hey, you're going to be, you're going to, God's going to judge you for your pride. And he is going to <laughs> turn you into a beast, pretty much. What you are on the inside, King Nebuchadnezzar, in your sin, is what you will become. Verse 28, look at, look at what happens here. The fall of Nebuchadnezzar. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months. He was walking on the roof, you remember this, of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence for the glory of my majesty? And while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he wills. Immediately the word was fulfilled against King Nebuchadnezzar and he was driven from among men and he ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Here's the lesson. Pride comes before a fall. Pride will kill you, will destroy you. And I love the repentance here. And this is the last we hear of King Nebuchadnezzar. Look at verse 34. At the end of the days, I, King Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. And this is what he says of God. Think of the exiled, suffering Israelites. They're hearing this, okay? They're reading this. For his dominion, they're hearing a pagan king say this. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Imagine our president getting up in the morning, making a public service announcement. And those were his words. That'd be pretty amazing. That'd be pretty encouraging for Christians to keep enduring, to keep going. That's the last we hear of King Nebuchadnezzar. And then chapter 5 introduces to us two more kings. Daniel 5 talks about Belshazzar. And it's a fascinating story <laughs> because Belshazzar is a drunken fool and he throws this massive party right i don't know if he's related to nebuchadnezzar but i would say like father like son in this case right and he decides to throw this drunken feast into the face of god by drinking out of the temple vessels and let's just say the lord was not fond of that 
<laughs> okay? And the, at that point, we see the writing on the wall for Babylon. Literally, a hand appears and writes on the wall. You guys remember this? Tekel, tekel, you know, it's just weird, these weird words. And pretty much what happens is that God judges King Belshazzar like that night. And Babylon falls. Babylon, the great city, the great ancient power falls to the king of Persia. Daniel 6, then, is the famous lion's den. And it reinforces the theme that God is sovereign, just like in Daniel chapter 3, like the fiery furnace. God is sovereign and in control, and he shows that by protecting his people from their enemies and saving Daniel from the lion's den. And look how this chapter then, again, a pagan king ends praising God. Look at verse 26. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. You guys are maybe getting tired. I hope you're not getting tired, but you hear the same thing over and over and over and over again. Endure. Keep holding on. Keep going. God is there. He's in control. Wherever you're at tonight, apply this to your current situation if you're a believer. Let this encourage you that there is a God who is on the throne, who loves you, who cares for you, who's working all things for your good if you are in Christ. And if you are not, and you have not submitted to the king, then realize that there is a king, and that is Jesus Christ. And he is alive today, and he calls all people to repent and believe the gospel. So after Daniel chapter 6... The exile comes to a close. God has been faithful for 70 years, right? And King Cyrus, 70 years later, allows God's people to return to their land. Imagine you being gone in a foreign land for 70 years and then coming home. What a homecoming that would be, right? And they start to be, uh, build the temple once again. And, and, it, and it's a celebration. However, however, that does not mean that since they're, re- they're returned home to Israel, that their life is going to be all sunshine and rainbows. No, there's going to be trials and suffering that comes. And so God, who knows this suffering is coming, who has ordained it, he wants then to reassure his people what is coming in the future. Yes, there will be suffering, but there will be victory. And that's what Daniel 7 through 12 is all about. There will be suffering. Keep pressing on, but there will be victory. It's like the time. It's like the time I went uh, with my buddies. I went backpacking, and we went to this. Uh, and we go in the Sierra Nevadas, and we went and we hiked Lake Minaret. I think actually Amy Stiesel, maybe Sam have done this hike before. It's a beautiful hike. Um, these gorgeous, uh, gorgeous, magnificent peaks. And um, I got a thirty-five pound pack on. I'm with my buddies. It's a pretty strenuous hike for me for sam he would do it no problem okay but for me you know it was it was pretty strenuous okay and i remember towards the end of the hike i thought we were climbing the final section because there was this beautiful like waterfall thing and usually when you're hiking you're like it's like you come over the ridge and then you see the lake and it's just beautiful right and so we hit this last final hill hard and we're going and we're trudging along and i'm tiring my hamstring seizing up you know, 
I'm not a vomiter, but I feel like I'm going to vomit. You know, I'm probably dehydrated and we're in the middle of nowhere, no cell phone reception. You know, so I'm going up this, I'm just, I'm giving it my all. And I come over the ridge and then I see that there's another hill that we got to go. (laughs) Demoralizing, right? Demoralizing. God's people, they get back home. But Daniel 7 through 12, God reveals that there's going to be some suffering ahead. Demoralizing. However, God in his grace tells them what's going to happen. And he tells them what what the outcome is going to be. Therefore, encouraging them. And you know what I needed at that moment when I saw the other hill that I got to get over? I needed to pull out my map. And I needed to see the picture of the destination, of the stunning beauty of the minarets, right? Of the lake where I was going. I needed to to know that this momentary suffering does not compare to the future glory I will have in the end, right? That's what you need when you're at wit's end. That's what you need when you're about to let go. You need to be reminded of the end. You need to be reminded of what's coming. And that's Daniel 7 through 12. I'm not going to go through it as long, but Daniel 7. Daniel sees this vision. When he's at his wit's end, he sees it. And what's the vision of? It's of the ancient of days. We see this in verse 9 through 14. He sees this, this divine figure. Look at verse 9. Thrones were placed. And the Ancient of Days took his seat, and his clothing was white as snow, and his hair of his head were like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning. He's seeing a picture of a vision of God. And in verse 13, it says, And behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days, and he was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him and his dominion is everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in his kingdom uh, one that shall not be destroyed he's encouraged there god is on the throne you will have victory now daniel 8 gets a little bit crazy so daniel sees this other vision and it's a vision of the next 200 years leading up to Antiochus Epiphanes IV in 175 BC. But what happens to him, this terrible tyrant ruler who's going to persecute God's people? Look at Daniel 8.25. What happens to him? Is he all that bad? Verse 25, by his cunning he shall make deceit prosper under his hand, and in his own mind he shall become great. But what happens? Without warning, He shall destroy many, and he shall even rise up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken by no human hand. Antiochus Epiphanes died because of a sickness. God took him out. No, it's not the end. In chapter 9, we then see the heart of Daniel. Remember his confessional prayer, asking God for the forgiveness of sins, that he would be faithful to his promises. And he pleads. We see the heart of the suffering prophet in Daniel. Praying and seeking the Lord. You want a tutorial in prayer? Daniel 9. Until we come to the final section of Daniel 10 through 11. Daniel is visited by a warrior angel. And he's floored, but he's also encouraged because he's sovereign. This 
this God. And the angel gives him precise detail of what is going to happen in the next 300 years. Of how God's people will, yes, return to the land, but they will suffer. See this theme of suffering over and over and over again? In Daniel chapter 11, what's really fascinating is it actually ends with a prophecy about our future. Of this king that comes, and this king is a blasphemer. He's a king like Antiochus Epiphanes, but way worse. He persecutes God's people. He's a blasphemer. He's a unifier of all people. And he seeks to crush the kingdom of God by using three instruments. This is the Antichrist. You know what the Antichrist uses to stamp out and destroy God's kingdom? First, in the book of Revelation, it's anti-Christian government. That he uses governments to crush God's people. Second, he uses anti-Christian religion to deceit, to deceive God's people. And then anti-Christian seduction to tempt God's people. Those are the three things. Are those not relevant for us today? And this king seems to have, at the end of chapter 11, seems to have crushed God's people like there is no hope. But just then, just then, when all hope seems to be lost, if you remember in Lord of the Rings, and the, to- the, the, the two towers at the Battle of Helm's Deep, Aragorn and the king are in the final uh, hall, right? And they're about to be overrun until he remembers who comes on the, was it third day or the seventh day or something like that? And then Gandalf comes on the white horse, right? And he comes down the mountain and just destroys the enemy. Just a picture of Jesus riding the white horse, right? And it's right then and there when God's people in Daniel 11, they they feel the most vulnerable, the most distressed. They can't hold it anymore. The enemy is so strong. My flesh and my sin are overtaking me. It's in that moment that deliverance comes. And that's what Daniel chapter 12 is all about. Let me read. Let's read Daniel 12, because we got to finish off the book, okay? Let's start in verse 5, okay? Then I looked, Daniel looked, and behold, two others stood on, so after he sees this vision, two others stood on that bank of the stream, and someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? How long will we suffer? Verse 7. And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. That's how long. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. Verse 8. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome? So not only how long, but what will happen? He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from, that, from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. 
That's three and a half years, time, times, and half a time, okay? Blessed is he who doesn't just wait the 1,290 days, but who waits and arrives at 1,335 days. But Daniel, go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. You may be asking the same question. I ask the same question when I see what's going on in this world. How long? How long will I have to struggle with these same sins? How long will I have to struggle with the eating disorder I have or the porn problem I have? How, how long, O oh Lord, will I have to suffer through the family turmoil I have in my home? How long will I have to feel like I can never meet the expectation of those who love me in my life? How long will I have to, you name it, go through, see a loved one suffer horrendously? How long, O oh Lord? That's the cry of the Christian. It will ha- if it hasn't happened to you, it will happen to you. You will cry that out. God's people are crying that out. How long? And he answers with a time, times, and half a time. Now, many commentators, I think, in their pride, tried to figure out exactly what that means. But here's what I could tell you, because I don't know exactly. But what I do know is that it is an allotted time period set by God, that it will come to an end, that God is in control, that it isn't forever. And that's encouraging to God's people as they suffer. How long? It will be for a short time. But this momentary suffer, suffering, it won't compare to the future glory that you will receive. If you're asking that question, then you're asking the second question. What will be the outcome? What will happen? Verse 10 answers it. I read it. It says, many, many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. But the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. In other words, here's the outcome. The outcome will be the preservation of God's people through the refining fires of persecution. God will preserve his people, Daniel. He will preserve you if you are in Christ. And he will preserve you through the fiery trials of suffering. This is the message of Daniel. I just went over it, right? Suffering after suffering, but God preserving his people. How are we refined? Isn't it through fire? Through death? It's through fire that we're refined. Through death that we live. Through humility that we're exalted, right? This is the message of the Bible, of the gospel. The way up is really the way down. The way to victory... For Jesus isn't defeating Rome with a sword, but it's by by being lifted up on a cross. You see, that's what Daniel's all about. It's victory through suffering. It's being exalted as God's kingdom, but being brought low in the exile and suffering horrendously. But it is through them that God will then exalt his people. Daniel, in a sense, the whole book really could be titled The Gospel According to Daniel. It's the whole Bible in a book, if you think about it. 
What's the story of Scripture? God creating man in his image without sin. But sin, they sin against God and plunge them down into corruption. And in order to save those people, God sends his son who leaves his throne and suffers the worst of death through it all. But it is through suffering, through dying on the cross for your sins, being raised again from the dead, which we're about to celebrate this Easter. He now offers forgiveness and salvation to all and he will come again. You see, this is the message of Daniel. It's the story of mankind. It's the way that we are saved. It's about God's great love for sinners, for his people who have sinned so terribly against him, yet he still loves them and pursues them. That's the book of Daniel. Victory comes through suffering. And in God's word, Jesus does have the victory. He is the king of kings. He is sovereign. And knowing that, knowing that we have the victory in Christ, we can now endure to the end. So what shall we do in the meantime? What shall we do in the meantime? Goodness. You guys like World War II? Okay. When, ally, when the Allied soldiers overran the beaches of Normandy, Normandy on D-Day. They delivered a huge blow to the Germans in World War II. And it was said that that battle was the turning point in the war. That, the whole war, they say, was won at D-Day, June 6th. However, it would be years later that the Allies would actually make it to what was called V-Day, Victory Day, when victory was declared, Right? And so the illustration of Daniel, the illustration of the gospel is that at D-Day, at the cross, we have already won, right? But what do we do now as we wait for V-Day when Christ comes and delivers the final blow? What do we do? V-Day is coming. And until then, look at verse 13. What is Dan, what does he tell Daniel to do? But go your way till the end. Keep on going. Trudge along. Keep going. Keep serving. And you shall rest. You won't die, Daniel. You will rest and will stand in your allotted place at the end of days. And so until then, the short answer, Christian is to keep living for Jesus, keep making a stand for him and living by faith until Christ brings you all the way home. If you want the longer answer, read 1 Peter. 1 Peter will give you the answer. What, how then should I live? But until then, and in the coming weeks, I hope to not just give you some, I hope to preach on the topic of how we can be a community that just does not just survive the exile, but thrives in it. I want you to thrive as we live in Babylon for God's glory. I want you to endure to the end. And that's the message of Daniel. That God is on the throne, that he is sovereign. And therefore, because of his grace, you can endure. So hold on. Keep going. 
Keep plugging into community. Let the Lord work on your heart. And I know I preach long, but I don't know if you've, I've ever, I've never preached a sermon on a whole book of the Bible. So I hope it was something that you could take home and just be reminded over this last year. Wow, we serve an awesome God.